0: Hey, it's Kristen Donnelly, co-host of Everything Cookbooks. If write a cookbook tops your list of goals for 2023, I want to help you tackle it. On January 9th, I'm starting a new course called The Cookbook Proposal Bootcamp. Over eight weeks, we'll take your cookbook proposal from draft to done. You can learn more about the course and see if it's right for you at proposal.kristendonnelly.com. Use the code EVERYTHINGCOOKBOOKS, all one word, at checkout to receive $50 off the course. Say
1: you're a successful restaurant chef at the top of your game, and you get an opportunity to write a cookbook. But when you sit down to commit your culinary genius to the page, you realize that cooking and writing are two very different skill sets. What then? Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the podcast for writers, readers, and cooks. This is Molly Stevens, and I'm here with Kristen Donnelly. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Molly. Well, I love that we are co-hosting today because I've worked on a few collaborative cookbook projects in the past, but your experience with this kind of work is so much broader and more recent than mine. So what's your take on working on books with
0: chefs? I've only worked with chefs a couple of times. And then I've worked on other collaborative cookbooks. So like with brands or other mm-hmm. types of food entrepreneurs. So every project is so different. That's kind of my take. It's like the the ways of working, the ways of, you know, getting what you need. Like some people are very organized and I'm very organized. So it's like that works well. And then other people are like, not at all organized. So it's like, how can I get the best out of them and help them create the best book that they can? I'm excited to talk to our guest because he is somebody who I really looked up to. And when I was trying to get into collaborating on cookbooks, like I would talk to and get some words of wisdom. So
1: yeah, we have JJ Good on the show today. And JJ has made a career out of co-authoring Chef Cookbooks. He's one of the most sought after cookbook collaborators in the business now. And if you're a fan of Chef Cookbooks, chances are you're a fan of JJ's work. And maybe without even knowing it. He has co-authored nearly two dozen cookbooks. Several have become New York Times bestsellers with some of the best chefs in the in the business, really. And his latest book uh, was with Danny Bowen, uh, Mission Vegan, Wildly Delicious Food for Everyone. And on top of this, J.J. is also an accomplished essayist in his own right. So we're really excited to have J.J. on the show today. JJ, welcome to Everything Cookbooks. Thank you
2: so much for having me.
1: We are so excited to talk to you. So you've made a solid career out of co-authoring cookbooks, but you certainly didn't burst onto the scene as one of the top names in the business. Where did you come from? How did this happen?
2: (laughs) Where did I come from? I don't know, New Jersey? I came from writing stuff about food and not really knowing that I was qualified to help anyone write a cookbook because I'm a pretty... Bad cook, pretty dumb cook, prone to mistakes and anxieties. I was offered an opportunity to work with someone on a cookbook. A friend with experience was asked to do a cookbook and he couldn't do it. He was busy and he said, Would I like to? And I said, I'd like to, but I can't because I don't know how to cook. Um, And he said, You don't need to know how to cook. And that kind of blew my mind. I like cooking, but I'm not a very good cook. So I have a lot of questions and I feel like I can sort of bridge the gap between the chef who knows how to cook and the person who might buy the book who like me wants to cook but maybe can't but you were already writing about food so do you have a writing background i was a psychology major in college i was scared of writing because in psychology you could like learn all the answers and get high score on a test but with writing it was more i don't know there was a craft There was subjective I just didn't want to do it. And and, but I really liked food. I really wanted to be involved with food. But for many reasons, didn't end up going into cooking professionally, partly, again, because I'm a bad cook and partly because I was born with a small right arm. So I was not going to be hired. I tried. Um, No one was hiring me. And I understood why.
1: But you were working in a food writing, trying to become a food writer, right?
2: Yeah, it was 2001, 2002, um, when food writing wasn't. Um, a thing that people, most people wanted to do. I
1: remember those days.
2: <laughs> you remember those days? When I told you, <laughs> you know, now it's like, oh, I, I'm a food writer. People are like, oh, I understand what that means. You maybe have a, you write cookbooks. You maybe write for a newspaper. You have a food blog. You are on TikTok or I don't know if that's not writing. But, you know, there's, like there's a lot of ways to be involved in food now. That storytelling. That, you know, yeah, yeah, Storytelling. How yeah. diplomatic, Kristen. Um, but <laughs> at the time, I mean, I told my dad, I was like, I want to be a food yeah. writer. He's like, what's that? You mean like Ruth Reichel? Like oh, the only, like Anthony Bourdain, like the only people who are doing it were sort of these like amazing larger than life people. And he was like, what are you talking, you can't just do that. It's like saying like, I want to be a novelist, like Tom Wolfe, like, but you know, the, I like, found my way into it, writing about trends and openings and, you know, little blurbs here and there.
0: We've all got to start somewhere. Yeah. you Yeah. Know. But it's funny, I I heard in another interview, you know, it was like you got the crumbs.
2: Oh, so many crumbs. From
0: another writer. And I collaborate now on cookbooks. And it took years. Even now, I'm still getting... It's like... Julia Tertian said, no, so will you do it, Kristen? <laughs> you yeah. know, There are a lot of people who need help with their cookbooks, and there's only so many collaborators.
1: Right. You know, it seems like it was almost an accident that somebody couldn't do this project that you got years ago, and you said yes to it because you were picking up crumbs at that point. You were, you were taking anything you could get. And right. so that was an accident, but what a happy accident, because now, I mean, dozens or t- 20, I don't know, I, could, I lost count trying to count how many chef's books. You have co-authored
2: a lot of <laughs> yeah, them. I've worked on a lot of them at this point.
1: It seems like it was something you were very well suited for, but very good at,
2: very skilled at this. Thank you. And there's still crumbs, by the way. Like if, if Julia tertian can't do a cookbook, <laughs> bring it, bring it, you know, like. <laughs> right. Totally. Like sometimes the crumbs are good because you might not like, I'm trying to think of a really domino. You might like not like that particular biscuit and you're like I don't really want this but I'm I love biscuits. So I you know you might not get along with someone it might not be a book you or feel really strongly that you want to work on.
1: You're leading to something we really wanted to ask you about is that you said you might not like that biscuit. So it, we're we're going to get into voice and how you how you write in someone else's voice but I think we want to start a little bit maybe and talk about the process. You have to like the person you're co-authoring to, or like their food or you know what is that decision do you have to? No, but
2: maybe you should. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that's one of the things I've gotten better at over the years is choosing people and thinking about projects, not just like, I need work, mm-hmm. so I'll do this, because it came along. Because that can be really hard, and it's not necessarily the person who you're working with fault. but sometimes you don't get along, sometimes you don't vibe, sometimes the food just doesn't get me excited, sometimes our personalities clash. I mean, I think I'm pretty good at getting along with everyone. That's a skill I think I have and making people sort of feel comfortable and because that's what you need them to do. You need them to open up and it's like you go on a, a first date, you decide to do the cookbook and then suddenly you're thrust into this like rather intimate two, three year long relationship where you're negotiating some stressful deadlines and, you know, the chef is doing things that they're not comfortable doing, like telling stories and writing quantities down and and you have to kind of make them do that, even though they're your boss. It's it's a really hard thing. So if you don't find the right person, um, it can be harder. Um, But I think I've gotten better at finding people who I really get along with. And that makes for a more pleasant process.
0: And what makes you feel jazzed about a project?
2: That's a good question. I typically like cookbooks where it's not just the chef's creativity, but like some culture or people behind it. Like, I'd rather do a cookbook about someone who's cooking his mother's food than somebody who's just creating like one of those like artiste type people who are like, you know, if you kiwis and, and snozberries, they go really well <laughs> together. And I, like, I don't really care about that so much.
1: So there's some cultural or familial or historical reference to the work.
2: Yes. Yeah. Even if it's not like highly traditional. Food, Like I've worked on the Pak Pak cookbook with Andy Ricker and a couple of other books with him. And I love that because he's so connected to Thailand and I get to help these people communicate the excitement of being excited about and an expert in cuisine. I get to like have a little window into that. And I bring, I think, some of my excitement and enthusiasm to the writing and communication about something they not take for granted, but something they just know so well that like they might be a little jaded about it.
1: So you're telling, you know, it's not just a, a collection of recipes. You're telling this whole story through all the research that you're doing together with the chef and helping them see right. it's part of the story.
2: Yeah. And I get I get to be the sort of proxy for the reader. I think a reader goes in to one of these cookbooks like I do, hopefully, which is just like kind of enthusiastic and ignorant, you know, so I get to like sort of provide some of the context that the chefs might not think to mention. I just basically ask questions all day,
0: every day. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think of like what you do as being this like a reader advocate or the home yeah. cook advocate in a sense. What do you call yourself for your taste column?
1: America's best worst home cook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I'm like, I could be, I should be really good at this point, but I'm not, I know a lot of stuff, but it doesn't translate to like actually making things that taste good.
1: So it's interesting. You you know, we, we often talk on this podcast about, you know, who's the reader, like for a book, you, you know, if you're writing a cookbook, you want to have a sense of who your reader is, what skill level, what, and what I'm hearing you say is that you're the reader, you know, you're advocating for the reader. So, but, but you're bringing someone who's enthusiastic, but not very skilled in the kitchen, who's going to have a lot of questions.
2: Yes. Because I think if anyone has bet more skill than I do, then they can skip some of this context that I provide. But you have to assume the reader needs some help or else you're cutting off a good portion of the readership. You don't know what mince is. You don't know what brune is. You don't know what it means to caramelize onions like I know what it means, but I don't right. know. What
1: are the steps? So so what is the process? So say you, 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 you're working on a book with a chef and you already mentioned, you know, sometime travel is involved. But it seems to me you're getting two things. You're looking for the story to get the voice and to tell all the intro and all the extra Mm -hmm. So there's that process of getting to know the chef and getting to know their story and figuring out how to tell it in their voice. And I mean, I think about some of, you know, from April Bloomfield writing about being a young girl in England to Roberta Santibanez. You know, I mean, these are very different voices that you're assuming. Um, But are you in the kitchen with the chefs? How are you getting these recipes?
2: Sometimes. Historically, yes. But with COVID, with kids, Like I have kids and I can't spend as much time traveling or going anywhere um, as I used to. And also just, I've worked with people, this guy, Gregory Gorday, who I've worked with recently, who I love. He lives in Portland and he's busy. And, you know, we have to work via Google Docs, which is actually surprisingly fun because he's a great recipe writer. And so he writes recipes and I go in on my own time and I Ask all my horribly annoying questions like why do you do that? How long? But how do you know? Won't it explode? Like those kinds of questions, and we have these like the banter I used to have in the kitchen with the chefs while they cook. Now I have it via Google Docs, Um, and at some point in the process, I think we we had these like Google Docs comments fights, like like friendly fights. Where I was like, I don't know. I would ask him a question. He would like half Mm -hmm. answer it, like chefs sometimes do, because he's like extremely busy and stressed, and he would he would just like answer yes. And I'm like, that doesn't answer the question. I didn't ask you a yes or no question. <laughs> I would be like, yes to what, motherfucker? Like we would just be like going off on each other in That's the comments. funny. It was so fun. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's more about, um, I think some chefs are really capable of writing a recipe down and really like doing that. Andy Ricker, the Pac-Pac guy, was very good at that and very good at getting into the Google Docs with me. But April Bloomfield, on the other hand, when she did manage to write down her recipes, which was very hard for her to do, it just like wasn't how she could think. The recipes were kind of, they they just seemed like a a list of ingredients without the sort of magic that she does bring to her cooking. Like she wasn't able to express like the cool thing she was doing. But when I saw her do it, it was like, I cannot believe like you're using these four ingredients and it becomes this amazing thing because of the the very small details that you bring to your cooking. Like So for her, it was impossible to get that by talking because she wouldn't think just to describe what she was doing until she did it. It was just so like such pure intuition. Um, so for, for that project, I needed to like, we, I just watched her cook everything and sometimes, you know, cook it again and again and again, because it wasn't good enough for her. I thought everything was delicious. And then she was, she would be so disappointed in some some meatballs. She made these meatballs, like a thousand, these lamb meatballs a thousand times. And every time she made them, I was like, these are so good. she's like, they suck. I hate these meatballs. They're (laughs) so bad. I was like, I don't understand, but you know, so I'm there there to do, I guess.
0: After you go back and forth and back and forth, then you are generally not doing the cross-testing?
2: Never doing the cross-testing. I cook some of the food because, you know, once you see someone make something delicious, you're like, wait, I can do that. So I will cook some of the stuff and like try to impress friends and then mess it up and be like, shit, okay, we need more details about that. Like, why did, why did I mess this up when I literally watched you do this? Like, what am I forgetting? I'll go back to the video tip, which I often I like take constant video of like weird little techniques and foldings and flippings and things so I can describe it later. We get the recipes tested by someone who didn't have a hand in writing them. I think that is useful to bring completely fresh eyes to the project. I think something makes perfect sense. I come up with something and I'm like, this is just perfect way to describe folding these dumplings. And then someone reads it who didn't write it. And it's like, this makes absolutely no sense. What do you mean the fold the opposite corner? Like, you know, you get so technical. Mm-hmm. You need someone with fresh eyes to, to go see it. And I love working with the recipe testers. That's another one of my favorite parts. Because like you're basically seeing whether you succeeded or not in real time. Although it is hard to explain to the chefs when a recipe doesn't work, why it didn't work. Because they're like, no, it works. I, I wrote it. And I'm like, I know, but we failed the reader somehow.
0: I worked with you recipe testing for a project with Dale Tallday. Dale Talday. Everything with rice flour did not work.
2: Yes, I remember that. Because it was Bob's Red's Milk versus like the rice flour you get at an Asian supermarket. Yeah, different textures or something. But yeah, but he, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know that.
0: It was like the hydration levels. <laughs> but
2: that's something he might not have thought about because he just gets yep. rice yeah, flour. His supply. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah just use yeah. rice flour. But that, yeah, those are the kinds of super fun, extremely annoying things that... <laughs> <laughs> a test that he helps us
1: with. So I read an essay uh, you wrote. You talk about the process of dumbing down chef's recipes a- as being stripping them for parts in order to make them mm-hmm. um, accessible for, um, you know, enthusiastic and, you know, not very good home cooks. And so I want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about, like, the balance and the overall structure of the book and how involved you are in that. But also th- maybe the first question is more about the recipes themselves. Like, a lot of chef's recipes are... are Idea of chef's recipes are sometimes unattainable. Mm-hmm. How much of that is a negotiation? Are you trying to eliminate those recipes? Are you trying to find a way to, as you say, strip them for
2: parts? And I guess it depends on the the chef. I mean, I'm the, I'm really there to to help execute their vision. Like I worked I worked on a cookbook with the mm-hmm. people from State Bird Provisions, Stuart and Nicole, who are so so lovely and. In the beginning of that book process, we talked a lot about, okay, what do we want these recipes to be? Do we want it to be restaurant recipes or do we want it to be home cook friendly versions of some of the flavors you can get at the restaurant? And they decided that they wanted It to be more recipes from the from the restaurants essentially like this is how we do it at the restaurant uh with the only concessions to home cooks being like you know there's no deep fryer so we have to tell you how to deep fry there's we don't you don't have a griddle huge griddle at home so you might have to do these pancakes Mm -hmm. in batches like that kind of thing and if that's what they decide like i explain the pros and cons i think but if that's what they decide then that's what they get and i help make that happen Um, if someone wants me to help them sort of streamline or provide feedback and give them a realistic idea of what a home cook goes through, I think it's hard for them to understand how a home cook thinks and how bad we can be sometimes and how lazy we can be. So something they think is quite easy. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, this one's a real easy one. First step, roast (laughs) off the chicken. Next, And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold (laughs) on. Roast off the what now? Like we need to tell them all the things. That would be a three-page
1: recipe in a Molly Stevens book. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I love that. And I love that. But it's a hard hard balance too because part of me wants a roast chicken recipe to be a Molly Stevens recipe where it's like, I want to know how to roast this chicken the way you do. Like you have to tell me all the stuff. But then I open a cookbook Mm -hmm. and I see a long recipe and I'm like, shit, Mm -hmm. is it going to be like really hard and stuff? So I'm always looking for ways to not scare people off by the length of a recipe, but also provide some of the details necessary for a home cook to to succeed at it. Me being the the home cook that I have in mind when I think about this stuff. You know, I think for home cooks, the challenge of roasting a chicken, you know, for chefs, it's like, oh, how can we get the skin crisp and how can we imbue the meat with Flavor and how can, and I'm like, how do I know this thing is not going to kill me from salmonella? Like, how do I know I'm not going to open this thing up when I'm trying to serve dinner and my wife will be like, right it's fucking undercooked again and i'll be like no it's not yeah. it's supposed to be pink and she's like no or, or like, how do i not set
1: off the smoke alarms
2: in my <laughs> kitchen and that's another thing that chefs don't realize too they're like yeah like cook these steaks on really high heat on both sides so you get a nice crust and i'm like i can't do that at home right the ripping ruining hot skilling your family life without a divorce yeah yeah and is that really worth your, yeah. your yeah. super duper crust <laughs> your tiktok worthy crust yeah. i don't know <laughs> but it's a negotiation and it's, I do follow their lead. I give them my feedback and what I would like, but then, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a reader. And sometimes like for for instance, a good example is the Pak Pock book. When I started working with him, I was like, okay, so let's do this. Let's do like, easy Thai. One, two, three. And he's like, absolutely not. I was like, okay, but like, you know, we're going to like make it much easier than at the restaurant. He's like, we're absolutely not going to do that. And I was like, okay, but you can't cook everything you do at your restaurant here. He's like, we absolutely can. So some of the recipes are just like, there's one, my favorite recipe is this one that starts with, it's uh for a Northern Thai La. The first step is to like, plunge your hand into a bowl of raw pork blood and like squish lemongrass with raw pork blood for like 20 minutes, and then chop big mass of meat to like a mince with like a scimitar shaped cleaver. It's just like incredible. And he wanted to like show people how Thai food is made. So that's what a recipe is sometimes. It's not just like how to do this quick, how to do this easy. Sometimes it's like a reflection of how people cook something. And that's cool and feels like a learning experience, even if you don't make it. Also, if you want to do the food justice, like you got to do it right. And that food, supposed to taste a particular way and he wanted to like honor that so he didn't want to do like cutesy hacks you know
0: ground pork with lemongrass exactly exactly (laughs) yeah
2: and i think sometimes it's like this weird romanticization i don't know if that's a word but as like a white guy from new jersey i'm always like ah the ties they do it the old-fashioned way it's like no people do things in quick ways and long ways Mm -hmm. but yeah he wanted to there, there are some of those old ways that are disappearing because they're not convenient and yeah, he was he was interested in those ways, and and interested in the places that still did it the old way, and wanted to get some written record of it in English.
0: Something that you do so amazingly well. The books all sound like the chefs, or at least they don't sound like JJ Good. And you even have your own distinctive writing voice. How do you do it, JJ?
2: <laughs> That's my favorite part. I, I, when I was little, I was a mimic. I would like like the way people sound and repeat things over and over in a maybe pathological way. It's fun for me to hear people's voices in my head, and I spend a lot of time with them, so I do end up hearing the voices in my head. And I, I do think that's what you want, like as you said about like somebody whispering in your ear, that's what you want when you buy a cookbook written by someone who you maybe admire, whose food you respect. You want the cookbook to be this intimate experience of like cooking with them, not just instructions on how to cook their food. Otherwise, that's just, you know, you can get that anywhere. There are so many good recipes out there. But if you're buying a cookbook, you're buying this like experience. I'm trying not to say brand because that's not how I think about it. But like, you know, you're buying a person's take on something and you want it to be like really warm and feel unique. And it's just like, you know, you know how hard it is to if you've ever written anything of your own, which I know you both obviously have, you know, it's hard to find what your voice is on not just in speech, but on paper. So I try to help them. You know, I think there's some, uh, you know, like Jamie Oliver cookbooks that like kind of like knock you over the head with his voice, but also it's kind of great because it feels like you're a Jamie Oliver book. Uh, so I try to find some balance in there between like what it's like to talk to them and then what it's like to hear them on the page while you read. Um, and I love it. And then I, and also I, I like enlist their help too. like, I don't just do it and they're like, wow, this is amazing. Like I always get it wrong a bit in the beginning, like with that April, she told this story about, um, a pub, like what she loves about pubs. And she was saying like, she goes, she used to go to these pubs with her sister. And she said she would have it off with the guys at the bar who had have their newspapers. And I wrote that down, have it off with the guys at the bar with their newspapers. She yeah. said, have it out, which in like British English means like argue, I guess, or like, like kind of uh-huh. like go back and forth. Have it off means like <laughs> something sexual. Um, so I showed her my, like, I worked out. I was like, Oh, here's, here's how I imagine your voice. And I show her that she's like, Nope, you didn't get it. But, you know, you try and you, and you say, like, I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to, like, take my best shot. And then you and I are going to work together to figure out what sounds like you, what's not. You have to fill in the blank somehow. You have mm-hmm. to, like, take a little bit of a guess. But you also have to make them aware that they have a part in it, too, and that you need their help, that you're not some sort of, like, mimic magician. But sometimes yeah. they can't read. Like some people, I've worked with a couple of chefs who I'll give them my carefully wrought, like, paragraph. that's like, this is what I think you sound like. You know take a look tell me what you think just give me feedback and then i'll I'll show up the next day and they'll be like i didn't read it i can't really read so you really mm. have to like I, i've like for those projects i had to like read it out loud to them which was really fun because i think that's an even better way of. yeah it was, it was hard to read it out loud because i was like oh my god i'm reading this out loud and you're
1: right it's like doing an impression of someone in front of that person kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah it's so distinctive
1: and and I think it helps explain a lot of you know why you are where you are in in this kind of work because we talk a lot in this podcast, you know, about headnotes and how front matter matters. But each one of your books, the the, the introductions are so strong, and the headnotes are, you know, so clearly voice driven, um, much more so than a lot of cookbooks that are, you know, written by cookbook authors. You know, so it's like it's it's a real trademark of these books that 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 it brings the person hmm. to the forefront, the the chef, the creator. I'm kind of in awe
2: of that ability. Oh, thank you. I mean. I think it comes from my sort of ignorance. Like, I really don't bring a lot of knowledge to the process. So all of the information comes from them. I have nothing to add so that all I have is their, like, raw material. So I don't think I I can impose my voice because I don't really have much of a voice. Well,
1: but it's that you do in your essays. I mean, you have essays out there.
2: I have recently found a sort of, like, something I have to say, which is that I think a lot of people feel like they're supposed to be cooking beautiful things all the time because everybody's like, you see these cookbooks and they're so beautiful and everything looks so perfect. And you see Instagram and everything looks so perfect. And you see videos online, everything looks so perfect. And I I just like, I'm always disappointed because you see someone like searing a steak and it's like, oh my God, you guys, it's so easy to sear a steak, it's so beautiful. And then you do it yourself and you're like, why is my counter covered with like oil spatter? Did I do something wrong? Like there's this disconnect between what we see and what we know and what we actually do. And it just like I think it's like undermines the whole trust that you need in following recipes. You know, when a dish comes out but it doesn't look like it did in the photo. Mm-hmm. So you're like, what are, you just I just feel crappy. I'm just like, I did something wrong. You just I start doubting myself. So my, my new shtick is just like fetching about that I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
0: If you want to cook for a photo, you have to think about it a little differently, you know, and you like approach the plating a little differently. Right. And then I've watched stylists and it's like the way they approach cooking is not at all how you would like approach it, you know, in the home kitchen.
2: It's magic. I mean, I don't know how they do it. I'm I'm so bad at it, but I I, sometimes I cook something at home. I'm like, this turned out really nice. Or like I'll cook one of the chef's recipes and I'll be like, want to send him a picture and I'll take a picture of it. And I'm like, this looks like shit. Like It looks good in my kitchen, but when I took a picture of it, it looks horrible, yeah. and it just gives me an appreciation for like all these people. There's a lot of people who are really good at making food look really beautiful somehow. Yeah. It's such yeah. an amazing talent that I do yeah. not have. I don't want everybody to think that like, they messed up. It, it can seem like everybody who is a good cook or is a cookbook writer is just perfect, because that's how we, for some reason, that's how everything is, has to be presented now. Nobody like, takes an Instagram photo of their like mess up. Right.
1: Talking about um, photographs and things, how involved, if at all, are you after the production end of things? Like once a manuscript gets turned in, during the editing process and then all the design and layout and all of that, is that something that you get involved in?
2: Ish. Um, I don't have any opinions about like what looks good, typically, but I will help. Like if if uh, usually the chefs have pretty strong visions, especially nowadays, about what a book should look like. But if they don't, I will help. You know, connect them with people who can help them like connect them with photographers I've worked with or designers. Sometimes I just have to help them articulate what they don't like about something, or what they do like about something. Like a designer would be like, how do you like these pages? And if you don't have the vocabulary, which I also don't, it's really hard to say. Sometimes the chef's like, I hate this, this design. And I'm like, okay, like why? Like I also hate it, but I have no idea why. So you have to like help them articulate, just like you have to help them articulate their food, which is hard sometimes for them to, describe because they're not used to having to describe it to people. Sometimes you have to help them communicate with the publisher about the design. Um, And then from there, it's just like, I just like find things wrong with it. Like that's my goals. Like we didn't use cilantro in the recipe, but there's cilantro in the dish. Like, you know, that Uh, every author, yes, stuff.
0: Do you think anybody notices that stuff? They do. I think they do. Because I feel like there are some people who are very literal or, you know, they are, they're not Mm. looking for a mistake. Those details jump out at them.
1: I have a recipe in my latest book, and um, actually, my husband was making it recently, and it's it, there's some kebabs, and he's like, wait, there's no sauce in the picture, and there's sauce in the recipe. I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, oh, <gasps> <gasps> yes, you know, so like, know that, that to and the, you know, the sauce is on the side, that's all fine, but still, it's one of those things that people do
2: notice, right. people do notice. Right. I just can't, I can't, if I notice it, it's just like a weird, uh, you know, yeah. like if I notice a thing, I can't not mention it, and so annoying sometimes, because it's tr- truly not important that there's a sauce in the photo, people are not dumb. People are like, look, you can put these kebabs. It's a finishing sauce. Beside a sauce. But I can't, I also cannot not mention that. Your job as the author then is to go back and say it's a finishing sauce. Or like put a caption, like try it with this sauce on this page. Yeah. Not everything has to be so literal. Sometimes I'm like, we didn't say and serve after the dish was taken out of the oven or something like that. He like,
1: we could talk about that for hours. Like, what are you going to do with it besides serve it? That answer. What are you going do with to it? Crazy yeah. Sometimes.
2: Because like, what What do you No, Throw it away? Funny. Like, put it in the fridge? I don't know. But then sometimes it's like, okay, do you serve yeah. it right now? Do you have Absolutely. to let it cool? Is it going to burn you? Do you have to let it cool to room? T- you know, all that.
1: Do you have to say and then serve and eat? Should we tell people to eat it too?
2: <laughs> oh my God. Sometimes my instinct is to be like, first instruction of every recipe is like, open the fridge and take out the carrots. From <laughs> turn the, on the, the bag. lights. Yeah. Turn on the light. Yeah.
1: Does this mean you go to photo shoots or sometimes, or it depends on the project?
2: Sometimes I do. I'm not useful. I just like eat stuff. Sometimes before <laughs> it's, it was shot. I did yeah. that a couple of times. So <laughs> April Bloomfields, she made this veal shank and it was sitting there. And I was like, Did they shoot that yet? No, no, JJ. What are you doing? So I didn't make that mistake again.
1: I'm just looking at all the books you've done over the years, and have you you juggle multiple projects sometimes?
2: Yes, always, always, always on multiple projects, mainly because you know they all have relatively long deadlines, like a year and a half, in my experience at least, and the chefs aren't always engaged the entire time because they have typically have like businesses to run or you know they're on a show or they're so when the chef is like hey i just got this opportunity to open a restaurant go on a show i'm going to be gone for two months i need to have other work or when i'm waiting for them to respond to like the thousands of queries i have on the recipes i need to be working on something else um so i do try to juggle but then sometimes you get in trouble and like everybody comes at you at once and you're overwhelmed but maybe like two or three books at once that are in different stages would be the ideal like one that's in a proposal stage and that's like a fun creative part of your brain. And then one that's in like the recipe testing phase where that's like a certain detail oriented part of your brain. And then it's one that's in the design and the second pages and you're like going through looking for typos. Like that would be my ideal is that they're all in different stages and using different parts of my and brain keeping and all up. those
1: voices in check you know, and
2: you're I keep yeah. That's a, yeah. Now that
0: you're more established, how are you finding work or how is it coming to you?
2: That's a good question. Sometimes it's usually it's like it's still it's still kind of the same it's like a friend of a friend or someone can't do it or someone's like oh you should meet such and such they want to write a cookbook it's very just like word of mouth chatting with people your name comes up because nobody thinks I don't, my theory is that no one thinks about you until someone mm-hmm. mentions you and i always do that like there are all these people who are like hey like we should work together i'm a recipe tester oh my god we should work together i can't wait to work with you one day and then i work on a project and the chef is like, Do you have any recommendations for recipe testers? And my mind goes blank and I can't think of anyone. And then if that person happens to like email me or emailed me the last week, I'm like, Kristen, Kristen will do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? It's like uh, everything in my mind is so scattered and you know, I have two kids. Yeah, and I think it works that way for for everybody, right? Like you're barely keeping your head above water. I bet you have spreadsheet, Kristen. Oh gosh. She loves a good spreadsheet. <laughs> she loves a spreadsheet. Oh, yeah.
0: You don't organize like the recipes and stuff in spreadsheets.
2: I don't have any spreadsheets. <laughs> I have a paper calendar. So when you send me an invite, well, I have to, a paper. Like, ca- I do
0: have a paper calendar. You have a paper calendar well. too. A Google Calendar.
2: I only have a paper calendar, and it's a mess. So how
0: do you organize?
2: For a long time, I used Microsoft Word and just like put things in weird folders that I kept track of, um, until like my older chef collaborators were like, "Can we use Google Docs?" It was a little embarrassing, like people who are like 10, 15 years older than me were like, we have to use Google Docs. And I'm like, oh, God. But I've learned how to use Google Docs. And and I think it's very useful. And, you know, I have my little folder system of recipes and then the recipes are ready for me. And then I can put them in a folder that says they're ready for you and that kind of stuff. That's not my strength. (laughs) In
1: working on new projects, are you involved at the proposal level?
2: Sometimes. Um, And sometimes it seems like a really good idea to be involved at the proposal level. And then sometimes it is a really bad idea i go back and forth it's like sometimes it's really fun to be involved in like the conceiving of the book and i feel like it gives you a little more leverage when it comes time to negotiate so when you you write a proposal and you hopefully get paid something small for the proposal as a co-author the book sells that proposal fee in my experience gets kind of lumped into the whatever fee you ultimately get paid but if you work on the proposal Before it sells to a publisher, sometimes you can negotiate a percentage deal where if the proposal is really great and the book sells for a lot of money, sometimes you get sort of like a bonus. If you negotiate 40% of the proposal, 30% of the proposal, and it sells for a lot of money, you get more money based on the strength of the proposal. But then you have to write a proposal, you have to figure out how to argue that it's going to be a big seller, and sometimes that's really hard because who the fuck knows? It doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason to why things take off or don't take off. So sometimes it's really nice when someone comes to you and it's like, I just sold a book or my friend just sold a book to Clarkson Potter. Like, would you want to work? And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't have to write a proposal. Fantastic. Let's well, do it's it.
1: interesting <laughs> because so so often the proposal is a, a, an indication of the writing. But if with the chef's book, the proposal is a different kind of a can be a different kind of a sales tool because the quantity is known, the right. brand is known, the idea is known. And how the voice is going right. to get communicated is sort of a secondary piece, maybe.
2: Right and some I think some publishers now just sort of s- seek out chefs or some agents can sell mm-hmm. a book without much of a proposal but then or, or then there'll be a proposal and the publisher will buy the book knowing that the book is not fully formed but they love the chef and the voice and the recipes so much if I write the proposal I'm involved in the conception of the idea and like how to frame everything how to organize everything but if the book is already sold Whatever the idea is in the beginning, it inevitably changes as you work on the book, as you like actually put things on paper. You're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Why, do, why did we say to do that? Let's do it this way. Or it's If it's true. already
0: sold and there's not a large proposal, then do you have an early phase with the editor?
2: No, not in my experience. There's a lot of let don't go do your thing. And I think that might be I've talked to people who have done their own books, which I've never done. And it seems like the publishers tend to be a little more... I don't know if this is the right word but like prescriptive with writers who do their own books they're like okay this book is 250 pages so we need this many recipes and you can't go over it. with chefs it's just kind of like a, a little bit of a blank check sometimes which is scary and i feel like it's, it's it should be the opposite i feel like the chefs are the ones who need to be reined in because they don't know necessarily what the book process is like and the people who do their own books who understand how the process works, can rein themselves in.
1: So then maybe it's more your job as a co-author to, to do the reining in, to say, whoa, well, 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 yes. we can't have yeah. 600 recipes yeah. in 1,000
2: pages. Right, right. But then the publisher seemed to let the chefs do what they do. Like uh, the Pock Pock book, we handed in these head notes that are just like 1,000, 2,000 words, some of them. Just like stories with context, and, which is nice, but I think sometimes, I, you know, I've spoken to Andrea about this. She was like, well, I can't, why can't I write? write yeah. long head notes. And yeah. the answer is, I don't know. Like, she should be able to write long. Head notes. I want right, I want right, to listen yeah, to her long, down. read her long. Yeah. Head
0: notes. You work with an agent, right? So,
2: yes. Because I can negotiate. If I had to negotiate for myself, I would like negotiate. I would do every cookbook, for, like a hot dog <laughs> and a hot pretzel or something.
1: <laughs> so you have your own agent. The chef might have their own agent. I'm such a
2: pushover. Yeah. Hopefully I, I wouldn't never have to talk about money with any, anyone except the agent. It's weird. It's weird. It is a little bit strange the whole Mm -hmm. process, because you're like, you're, you are talking about it, but you're just talking through these people. And you can Well, also,
1: I wonder back to, you know, what we talked about at the beginning about your relationship with the authors, with the chefs. And so, you know, it's really important for you to keep you know, a lot of what you do is manage that relationship, because it it helps if people if you get along, you know, you you know, you're sort of teasing about how you you nag them with all your questions. And you're, you know, so if you can put that piece aside, then what you're really getting at is just the work and the measurements and the story and everything else that you need from them. It's just one less thing to get in the way of the relationship.
2: I think it's devastating for a project when there's tension. I mean, there's always a little bit of tension, because it's just it's hard. But yeah i think as a collaborator you have to put a lot of your issues or frustrations to the side because that if you can't get people to open up if they're tense like i i don't want to open up when i'm feeling tense i don't yeah. want to be like be right. vulnerable when i'm feeling tense i don't want to like tell some
1: story about your childhood that might yeah. yeah
2: so that's like my one of my number one jobs is to like keep things running smoothly and it's it's a difficult thing i think about this sometimes because. I do think not to invoke this the word of the century, but like I do think about privilege and the ability that I have to just sort of blend into the background when I need to to not hash something out, even if I think it's important. You know, let's say I was working with a white chef who was just like running roughshod over, like he was like, "Oh, this is a traditional Thai noodle soup" or something like that, um, or this is Indian food, and I'd be like, like, part of me wants to be like, "That is." not indian food you should not even be cooking that you just clearly don't know what you're doing you seem to be claiming it's something it's not but you know it's like when i come across projects like that i'm like i can only do so much here i can only like do so much in this project i'm going to take a step back it's their book i have to like kind of facilitate the execution of the book but i think if i was if i was an, uh, an indian woman or something writing this book with this guy who's like i'm to cooking biryani i think it would be much harder to just sort of step back and I think it would be more important to stand up. I think about that sometimes when I when I don't push back I think about whether I should push more or figure out a way to, like, solve those problems yeah. without creating too much conflict. But right. It's
0: tricky. And is that something that you might work with an agent to do or you feel like those are?
2: No. It's more like an unspoken weird thing that I just like sit in my room and worry well, about. Well, you,
1: you're putting a lot on yourself. So I'm listening yeah. and, and I mean, I'm thinking about it, you're, you know, you're trying to absorb this person's voice. You're trying to, so you're, you're trying to almost make yourself invisible in this process.
2: Yeah. And the weird thing is like, I think to do that, to 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 like pretend to be someone or like to like inhabit, try to inhabit someone or channel their voice, you really have to kind of like mm-hmm. fall in love with them in a way, like really like become like obsessed with their voice and think about them a lot. And, and you kind of have to like, push all the bad thoughts away, you know? Like you can't you can't do a good job if you're like I fucking hate this person right. so much or
1: if you're like checking what they're doing. It's like you have to just silence that part,
2: yeah. It's weird. It's weird to know like what my job is versus what my responsibility is. Mm-hmm. Like what I'm being paid to do versus what I maybe should do or it's a mm-hmm. constant negotiation.
0: Yeah. Um a common listener question we get like how do you change agents or switch and I believe you have changed agents over the years.
2: I did switch agents. I used to have an agent named Kim Witherspoon, who's incredible. She's like a super duper powered, amazing person who can do anything. But I think it was like more of a person, like I liked her. I just am a little sloppy and she's like very much like, she's just like together adult and I'm a little sloppy. So I think as the industry started changing a little, as I started to think about like, do I want to write something on my own? Do I have anything to say? How do I navigate things? I think I needed someone who was willing to be like more of like a chatty therapist. Mm-hmm. And I think she's like, she has a lot of really, really, really big clients. And I just don't think she was like, was the perfect person for for that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I switched to somebody, who, Kari Stewart, who does more, she does less like big time chefs and personalities and more people like me who are like maybe cookbook, like she does Samine and Julia Tertian, people who are not, I mean, I don't do what they do, I wish I could do what they do, um, but like who who represent more like more people on the writers side or the collaborators side, and who is like willing to hear my anxieties. Not that Kim wasn't willing to hear my anxieties, but I felt more comfortable sharing like my anxieties or like texting. I would never text Kim. She's like scary to me, even though she's lovely. <laughs> um, but Kari, I would I can text and be like I'm really worried about something. She'd be like, "Oh." No, it's just a relationship. Yeah, it's similar to the chef's thing. It's like you have to find the person that you feel you have to. You have to understand what you want from the person, and if you need like a lot of handholding, like for a while, I didn't need handholding for a while because I was doing the same projects over and over, the, the same kind of deals over and over. So I was like, I know what I'm doing. I got this. But then when I started to think like, oh, like do I want to change what I'm doing? Do I ever want to write something myself? I needed someone who was going to handhold a little. That makes sense.
0: And I mean, with handling it, it was just like
2: oh yeah it was so, so clean and so not acrimonious kim and i'd still do projects together all the time mm-hmm. she's just she's like a business person she's like i'm not one of her like, big <laughs> she was like oh my god i'm devastated <laughs> so she and she's been like she was just like totally understood i of course i worried about this for a week so i was like she's gonna hate me and she's gonna be insulted She's like totally get it it's
1: a, it's a business like, decision good luck
2: like we have projects together. Exactly. Just because you take everything personally, like I think everything, <laughs> like if you don't text me back in like two minutes with an emoji, like happy emoji, I think you hate me. Not everybody thinks that way. Some people are just like, oh, JJ texted. I'll get back to him in a couple of days. It's not. Some important. people
1: don't check their texts all the time. Or maybe they didn't even see it. So before we let you go, uh, what sort of advice would you give someone wanting to get into work as
2: a collaborative author? That's a great question. I think it's still something that can happen even if you don't have experience doing it like i think chefs do have agents and agents do look for collaborators who have experience or track record because what the publisher wants to see when a chef sells a book is like so chef is working with someone who knows the process and who knows how to write a cookbook and who is going to do the things that need to be done, the formatting all the stuff um so they're looking for some sort of assurance there but i think if you meet a chef who, who isn't all like agents up and is like you have a good rapport and they like your writing or they, you can be like, let's work on a proposal together. Let me show you what I can do. When a publisher sees it, I think if it's really good, you're basically you're proving yourself when you write a proposal or an article or an email or anything really, you're proving that you can do it. And I think you can talk your way into it. I think you can elbow your way into it. So I would say like, it's still a little bit of a wild, wild west situation. Like you can find someone, you can email them out of the blue. You can meet them for coffee. You know, you can you can email me and say, I've never written a proposal before. Do you have any proposals to share? I mean, like people have sent me thousands of proposals over the years because I'm like, How do you write a good proposal about this kind of subject? How do you know, I don't know how to write right. a proposal for a memoir for somebody. So if I'm ever doing that, I'm gonna email somebody and my wife teaches English to high school kids and they call it a mentor text. You need a mentor text. You need to see like mm. what a good version is like and you kinda just copy yeah. it. I mean, not the words. But the the, the spirit you know, of the, it, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a formula to That's all this. That's great. Stuff. I love the that. Yeah. You'll
0: be getting hundreds of emails, JJ. Watch from out from all our <laughs> listeners. I'm, I'm ready.
2: I'm ready. Hotmail.com, baby.
1: Well, we really, really, really appreciate your time and sharing.
2: Thank you, guys, so much. It was so fun.
1: Thank you for listening to Everything Cookbooks. If you have something to add to the conversation or a question you'd like us to answer, contact us through our website, everythingcookbooks.com. All of the books mentioned on the show can be found on our affiliate page at bookshop.org. And if you have a minute to spare, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you to our editor, Appy Circatella. Thanks for joining. Until next time, keep on reading, writing, and cooking.